Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. We are continuing our player capsule series with more from John Schmilk. Alex, the first episode was a whole lot of fun. We we had this whole plan. We said, you know, it's already going to be kind of a long episode. We got to we got to talk in depth about Mitchell Robinson. And then he's like, I, I got some stuff to say about Dennis Smith Jr. So we went in on Dennis Smith Jr. We talked a lot about Mitchell Robinson. We went so long on Mitchell Robinson, we couldn't finish it all in one episode. And we have to finish it up now in addition to two other Knicks. Yeah, so we finished our Mitch discussion. There was a lot to it. You know, there was talk about Mitch's long-term future, about if Mitch is working on the right things, you know, what the what the things that Mitch needs to learn to do to become a, you know, superstar level player are also just talks about generally Mitch's maturity level and not in like a hot takey back page kind of way, more in just like a he's in his early 20s and never went to college, never had that experience. He started playing basketball late in high school, you know, just talking through sort of his growing up process and how that's all gone and how that affects his, you know, how things come across on the court for him as well. And uh, then we finish off, as you mentioned, with two other players, two guys admittedly towards the end of the the bench, but still guys worth discussing nonetheless. Jared Harper out of Auburn, who I think we're actually pretty excited about uh, on one of the two two-way contracts for the Knicks. So we, we talk about him. And then we talk about Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, who may or may not end up making the team, but kind of discuss what we think about him and, you know, maybe whether he should be on the team comes up a little bit. So we, we talk about that as well. So that's all next on this episode of Locked on Knicks with John Schmilk of WFAN. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. I think it all, this whole conversation about his character, it's a good indicator that when, when you just look at his development in a holistic sense, just how much upside is there. I, I think it, it connects back to what I was saying earlier. Again, when you go back to his high school experience, you go back to his lack of college experience, you go, you go back to just the chaos he's had the last two years on the Knicks. It, it all leads me to believe like it's, it's a miracle how good he's been. And I wanted, I wanted to just circle it back to the basketball side because it's, it's worth specifying how good he's been because there are areas where he's really uniquely special. And I, I had the whole spiel earlier, like, all right, if you're, if you're a center who's getting, who's going to get paid in the NBA, that's only, that's usually, that's only a good value if you have some kind of high level skill that a center doesn't normally possess, whether it's the passing I was talking about, whether it's three point shooting, um, it, it could be a variety of different things. In Mitch's case, I don't think he has that. But he's so much better at the things that you normally associate with the center position, or or, at least, or some of them, than 95 to, I'll say, I'll cap it at 95, to 90% of the league, that he's worth investing in. And the number one thing is, is what we all know. 
it's rim running and you hear it from everyone like, okay, Mitch, Mitch set the all-time field goal percentage record, but all he does is dunk the basketball. Yeah, but he's better at dunking the basketball or he wasn't <laughs> on season than anyone in NBA history. Maybe he averaged 1.6 points per possession as the role man in pick and rolls last year. And it was on a relatively small sample size. All these stats come from uh, Jack Huntley's excellent article. And we had him on to talk about it a, a few months ago on posting and toasting. Um, that was the third highest mark in, in modern NBA history. As far as NBA.com's play-by-play data goes back. Um, the only one higher was a young Tyson Chandler uh, when he was playing with prime Chris Paul. You can look at someone like DeAndre Jordan, who, who 10 years ago was like the, he was the rim runner in the NBA. He got to play with Chris Paul, who's, who's one of the greatest passes of all time. And JJ Redick spacing the floor for him is one of the greatest shooters of all time. He was not as good as Mitchell Robinson was last year with Alfred Payton passing him the ball and Julius Randle and RJ Barrett spacing the floor for him. And, and granted it, it was, it was a relatively small sample size of him running to the rim, but you can also, you can look at someone else like Clint Capella got to play with Chris Paul and James Harden, two of the greatest pick-and-roll maestros ever. He wasn't close. He was at 1.34 points per possession um, as a pick-and-roll finisher. Uh, If Mitch can maintain his efficiency to some degree over a much larger volume, and keep in mind, uh, guys like Julius Randle and Bobby Portis ran far more um, possessions or or finished far more possessions um, as a pick-and-roll finisher last season than Mitch did. If he can maintain that efficiency to some degree over a larger sample size, and and the reason to think he is is because he's inevitably going to have a better infrastructure this year. Even if it's just Emmanuel quickly playing some of those minutes, if it's Austin Rivers playing some of those minutes, if it's Alex Burks playing some of those minutes, if it's R.J. Barrett making the improvements we think he can make, um, as a shooter, if it's Obi Toppin instead of Julius Randle, even if the Knicks shooting is not pristine, it's not nearly as good as I hope it would be after this offseason, it, it is light years better. The the improvement from horrible to close to average is a dramatic one, and I think that can offset the fact that Mitch is probably going to get the ball in the pick and roll a lot more because uh, Tom Thibodeau's uh, a smart coach, and he's going to see that, hey, the, this guy is about as good as anyone ever at doing that. Defensively, I, I went back tonight and I watched, um, uh, again, courtesy of Jonathan Macri, some of the clips uh, of Mitchell Robinson in, in that Rockets game near the end of the season, uh, the one in late February. Um, and it, it's it's just incredible to, again, just to see some of the flash plays Mitch makes. I mean, when you're not watching it any night, when you haven't watched it in nine months, it, it's easy to forget. Like, again, we, we, we talked about it, we hinted at it. I mean, just the, the things he does on that end that, that you've never seen someone his height do before there there's that play where um far left corner pj tucker pump fakes mitch goes flying by he spins around uh, second jumps again and blocks it and you just don't see that happen you saw him block james harden multiple times on step backs you saw him dissuade james harden from going one-on-one against mitchell robinson no one dissuades james harden from going one-on-one he, he passed the ball a couple of times uh there was another possession or, or a couple of different possessions um where guys were about to get into the lane because julius randall was was dead asleep on defense and Mitch perfectly played two guys at once. He stepped into the lane to deter the driver, and then he recovered onto his guy. He, he hung out in the corner to ensure a pass couldn't go there, and then he ran up and contested a three enough to force the miss. Uh, I, I say all this to say that his instincts were getting a lot better by the end of the year. He went from one of the highest foul rates in the NBA um, his rookie year next to, guess who, Nerland Snowell. It's going to be great to watch. It's great that they have both of them because one of them is going to foul out. Um, <laughs> and, and then his second year, he was still in the bottom 10, but his last 10 to 15 games of the season, he, he got up to, even if you extend it over his last 20 games of the season, he got up to a point where he was pretty close to league average for a big man 
in terms of foul rate. And, and that's ultimately a key thing for him. It's clear he has those elite tools, but it's just about figuring out the easy things. It's not fouling as much. It's becoming far, far better as a defense around rebounder, which again is a weakness for Noel as well. Offensively, it, it's setting better screens. Um, and, and again, it, it's getting that jump shot right. It, it's getting some level of facilitation if guys are just going to crash down on him. Um, I say all that to say, um, despite everything, it just he it's incredible how good he has been given given all that he's gone through and, and all the setbacks and, and all the reasons why he has no business being that good. I agree 100%. And and, and I, I'm the one that took it in the character direction. I wouldn't even call it character. I would call it maturity because you think yeah. bad character, you don't want to go there. But I'm with you 100%. And that's why he's almost the opposite of DSJ and what we talked about earlier, right? When I said Dennis Smith Jr. has to be get good at the very simple and basic things that a point guard has to do. Well, that's the beautiful thing with Mitchell Robinson. He's already pretty damn good at all the basic things you want your center to do, right? Defend, rim protect, rim run, all that sort of stuff. He's good at all that. So, yeah, he has a high floor. If you ask me what Nick player currently on this roster, and I'm going to leave topping out of it because I haven't seen enough of him yet for me to make a decision on him. But if you ask me what Nick player on this team has the best chance of making you know, an all-star team right now, I'd probably say it's Mitchell Robinson even more so than R.J. Barrett. So I agree. I think he has a chance to be a really, really good center. He does all those things well. I think, based on his free throw shooting, he can become a guy that can catch and shoot from 15 to 18 feet. I don't quite know if he's stretching it out to the three-point line yet. Maybe he will this year a little bit. I don't know. But he's so good of a role man because of his wingspan. And you guys saw it last year. And and we're all big Frank fans here, but he threw some pretty terrible alley-oops to Mitchell Robinson on some pick and rolls. But his freakish jumping ability and, and length allowed him to crowd those and finish them anyway. And look, he does all the basic things pretty well. He has to mature in terms of on the court as a player and smooth out some of the rough edges and fine-tune what he already does well. But this is not a situation where he has to build up in a bunch of areas that are essential to be a good player. He's there. He just needs to refine the raw product a little bit more. And to your point, he's getting better. He's done it a little bit. I agree 100%. We've seen progress. Now it's time for that next step, to do it more consistently. And there's no reason why he can't do that. So I'm with you. I agree everything um, that you said, Gavin. So he has a chance to be, I think, the Knicks' best player this year if everything goes right for him and he continues to take those steps. And there's no reason Tom Thibodeau, and here's why I think I mentioned as a litmus test, right? If Tom Thibodeau doesn't immediately fall in love with Mitchell Robinson as a weapon on the court, given all the stuff we just talked about in terms of what he does well, then I think that's a red flag that maybe there's something going on that we don't see on the court. Because given Thibodeau's history and what he likes, Robinson does a lot of that stuff. So if he's not in Thibodeau's wheelhouse and one of his favorite guys, then I think we need to explore, okay, well, what's going on here that we don't see? We right back into it with John Schmilk of WFAN, but just letting you guys know about a new podcast, Locked on Bets. If you are into sports betting, you're not going to find a better podcast. Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a, a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers. Subscribe to the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag 
wherever you get podcasts. Let me run this by you, John, real quick, because you mentioned the three-pointer thing. And whenever that comes up, I'm always just like, this seems kind of silly to me. This seems like running before you learn how to walk. Agreed. Um, Because I I don't think that there's too much utility in getting Mitch out there if he's not going to get respected. Like, even if he would manage to shoot 30% or something on threes this year, he's not going to do it on volume and he's not going to get respected at all. So it's not going to create the gravity that you want. Like, uh, you know, to reference a guy that (laughs) brings up a lot of vitriol among Knicks fans, but like Porzingis, like he actually doesn't shoot a fantastic percentage from three, or at least I didn't, I don't know what his number was this year, but I know when he was with the Knicks, like he used to shoot like, I don't know, 34%, 33%, something like that. But you did it on volume and he always got respected out there. And like, that's the big thing is like, it, it, you know, we've talked about this with uh, with various draft people and stuff of like, you need to create the gravity and you need to, um, you know, you need to be able to, to if you're going to shoot like at like 30 something percent, you have to be able to do it like on pull ups and on volume and make teams respect you. So then it opens things up for other people. And like, I just don't think, you know, if, if Mitch shoots one and a half, three pointers a game and shoots 30 percent on him, it it really doesn't give anything to the Knicks. Um, but at any yeah, rate, I, I would vote much rather have him as a cutter, right? As a guy yeah. that maybe spaces initially. And then if somebody leaves him rim run, cut to the basket yep. and maybe they can hit you as a cutter. I'm with you. Yeah. So the question I was going to float to you and I feel like now I already probably know the answer, but you know, whatever <laughs> would, wouldn't it be more valuable? Like if people started looking and maybe it's just, <laughs> you know, to bring up the name again, I almost wonder if people want Mitch to shoot threes just so that then they can be like, screw you Porzingis. Like we have a guy that does what you used to do but better, you know, like whatever. But like, do you think maybe instead of trying to be like a Porzingis, he should maybe try to be more like an Amari Stoudemire and develop like, I think just like a simple elbow jumper. If you could develop that, it would be infinitely easier because basically it's just a free throw, you know? So, and he's actually a pretty decent free throw shooter for a big man. So get him to shoot like 40% from the elbows. And I think that would give you everything that you need as far as spacing the floor with him. Like, am I crazy there? Like, do you think that has some legs? Like, I feel like that's a shot that I would love to see him develop. No, I agree. And I think Tom Thibodeau kind of made that point. I was during one of his media availabilities uh, last week. And he basically said that, look, he has to prove to me on the free throw line. And then in the mid range, before I let him to go out there and shoot three. So I think Thibodeau's in agreement with us. I think that's something that's smart to do. I'm trying to think of the player. I mean, you want to go really old school. You talk about Rick Smith used to hit that elbow jumper all game long and just murder the Knicks with that elbow jumper used to hit. I don't think he's the best example, but you know, David West, remember he used to hit those kind of elbow jumpers in that mid range area to stretch to four a little bit, you know, that type of game I'm with you. I think that's where it starts. And then you expand from there. If you see he's successful from that mid range area, I'm with you. All right. I'm, I'm in absolute agreement with all that. Uh, we, we've, we've spent a lot of time on Mitchell Robinson. Let's, let's give, let's give a little love to our last two players. We'll, we'll save MKG for the end. Uh, yeah, we'll save MKG for the end. Let's go with Jared Harper. Um, he was a guy who it, it was, it, it's funny because I was, I was going to come on and talk about, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I just, I'm not sure how much faith the Knicks are going to, or how much of a chance the Knicks are going to give Jared Harper. He was signed by the old regime and and I just and I looked back and I was like, oh, he was signed in June. It wasn't that long ago. It feels like he was signed like three years ago, and he's just been part of the Knicks forever. Um, but he, he was signed somewhere in the middle of this pandemic-driven uh, infinite offseason. 
University of Auburn product uh, took Auburn to the final four uh, within, within a second, literally of the, of the national championship game. Uh, shout out to Kyle guy. Uh, he was, he was incredible in that run to the final four for Auburn. And I do think to some extent, and I feel, I feel a little disingenuous saying this because I feel like I've said it at one point or another about every person on the Knicks roster, but I, I do think he's maybe a little bit overlooked just in the sense that there, there's an argument to be made that he is the, he is the single most um, complete point guard on the Knicks roster right now. And what I mean by that is he, he doesn't necessarily, and granted this was, we haven't seen him really play in the NBA. He's, he's mostly just played in summer league, the G league in college. At those levels, though, there isn't an obvious weakness in his game. He, he's a good shooter. He's a good passer. He's a, he's, a, he's a strong defender. He competes in every single thing he does. He has all the intangibles you want in the world. And, and you can pick nits with every other Knicks point guard. DSJ, we, we spent the first 10 minutes doing it. Frank, he can't shoot. Alfred Payton, he really can't shoot. So in some ways, you, you look at Jared Harper and you say, is there value in the sense that on, on paper, and sometimes guys who, who didn't really have weaknesses in college, they get to the NBA and you're like, oh, that's because like everything he does in the NBA is a weakness. Um, is there an argument to be made that we're overlooking him? Or, or is it more so that um, he, he's just not good enough at anything to have a niche? And, and when I'm describing him, I'm just thinking in my head, I'm basically describing what Kadeem Allen was. And, and I always liked Kadeem Allen. I thought Kadeem Allen played really well when he got minutes for the Knicks. But it, clearly it wasn't it wasn't enough. And there wasn't like the one flash deal there that, that drew in the Knicks coaches or front office because – Obviously, they never prioritized him. Uh, but John, I, I've I've gone on long enough. What what are your thoughts on uh, Jared Harper? You know, I get confused when people talk about how stacked or full or complete the Knicks point guard position is, and how it's going to be tough to find minutes there. And my response is, what? <laughs> I mean, we talked about Dennis Smith Jr. Alfred Payne is what he is. Do we even know if Frank's a point guard? Maybe they see him as a combo guard. And then you have Jared Harper. And I agree with you. I think Harper has that quote-unquote complete point guard game. He can pressure the defense. He can penetrate. He can pass. He's a floor general. He can you know, run the show for you and get you in and out of your offense. He can do all those things. So I believe that he will have a legitimate chance here to, to compete for playing time. He only shot 36% from three last year in the G League, but it was on seven and a half attempts per game. That's a pretty high volume. So I'm with you. I think he can shoot. He's a near 80% free throw shooter, almost six assists per game. He can do a little bit of everything. So look, am I going to predict that he's going to be a starter for the Knicks this year? No, just because, you know, it is what it is. But this front office did target him to, to bring him in. They didn't have to offer him a two, two, uh, two-way contract again this offseason. They did anyway. So I think he'll have a chance. Now, is he ever going to be more than a backup? No. I think he is a better offensive game than, than Kadeem Allen did, especially as a distributor and someone that can run a team. So, no. I mean, guys, to me, this point guard position, they might have guys that can play it, but they don't have many guys that can play it well. So if Jared Harper can actually go out there and show this coaching staff what he can do, I think he has every opportunity to to earn a niche, uh, niche role in this team and be a guy that can earn playing time. I believe Tom Thibodeau when he says everything's a competition, and there's no reason why Jared Harper can't be involved in that competition along with some of the other guys on this roster. NBA fans, listen up. The Locked On NBA podcast is getting you ready for the start of the regular season with a special week of team preview podcasts all this week plus waiver wire editions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball 
and rookies to watch from draft guru Chad Ford. I would be willing to bet. I have not listened to it yet, but I'd be willing to bet that Obi Toppin makes that list. I will be tuning in personally to preview, well, those rookies because I'm very intrigued by that. Also, I'm going to check out the Atlantic Division preview because I want to see what's going on around the Atlantic Division. I hear some of the teams are okay. I don't know if they're going to be quite as good as the Knicks for sure. But, you know, I'm, I'm willing to be talked into it. You know, there's there's four teams that, you know, maybe have something to play for. We'll, we'll see if they're actually better than the Knicks or not. I guess time will tell. But <laughs> if you want to check that out, definitely check that out. There's great local experts from every NBA team. Uh, and there's division by division previews that you can check out on the Locked On NBA feed. Subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get podcasts and be sure to check those out. Yeah, John, it's funny. You know, I... I I was having a conversation with Schwinney, I think, about this, uh, who I know you interact with plenty on Twitter because he's he's on Twitter a bunch talking Nick stuff, uh, writes for Strickland and all that. Yep. And he was sort of like, because we were having the, the DSJ debate, which he and I have fairly often because he thinks DSJ is horrible. I think DSJ is maybe redeemable. And, you know, those are sort of the the hard extremes on DSJ at this point <laughs> is you either think he's horrible or like, can maybe turn into a functional NBA player. Well, and by, by the way, he can be both. He can yeah. be currently horrible and still have a chance to be an NBA player. It can be both. Yes, exactly. As I, I was talking more like destiny wise. Like, <laughs> course, uh, you know, yeah. some people think he's absolutely never going to turn into anything. And that's totally fair. But like, he was like, you know, Jared Harper is sort of everything that Dennis Smith Jr. could be in theory. If Jared Harper like is able to sort of, stick a little bit and the, the big thing with Harper is that he is way less than ideal size like he's five foot ten listed uh which I and I think he has I, I don't have the number in front of me but I think he has, are you gonna say his wingspan he is yes six five and a half wingspan which, which that's is pretty about, good that's about average for an NBA point guard yeah so plus five and a half right so that makes it a six three and a half I mean that's still not fantastic um so he's gonna pretty much you know, I've, I've seen various articles about this. And like I talked to the the Locked on Auburn, Auburn guys back uh, when the Knicks first picked up Jared Harper. And, you know, the, the general consensus is he is going to get beat sometimes just by virtue of being so tiny. But unlike like an Isaiah Thomas, where, you know, Isaiah Thomas on top of being tiny also just was kind of a bad defender, like. Harper is not a bad defender. He's just tiny. Now, so, now by but, the way, to be clear, you mean Celtics Isaiah Thomas, not Detroit Pistons. Yes, yeah, sorry. Thomas. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess when I said super tiny, that should have. Yes. Well, remember, <laughs> Isaiah Thomas Detroit wasn't a big dude either, but yes. Yeah, he's like six, what, six two? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. I mean, he was a little undersized, but at least was over six feet tall. <laughs> he wasn't like Nate Robinson, uh, no, Isaiah very Thomas, fair. Jared Harper levels. Uh, but at any rate, yes, yeah, Celtics Isaiah Thomas, sorry, it was straight up just a bad defender. Jared Harper isn't a bad defender. He's just small, you know, so he has to constantly be trying to overcome his size. And that unfortunately makes it so that, I mean, he can only semi-reasonably guard the one spot. And I mean, even some some ones that are he's going to face like LaMelo Ball, for example, who just got drafted. I mean, Jared Harper in many ways is kind of screwed against LaMelo Ball because LaMelo Ball is like six foot seven. If he wants to just pull up and shoot over him, he can all day. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a situational thing and it, you're going to have to live with the fact that he can just get burnt 
But like his aggressiveness is there, which was, again, one of those things that we were talking about with Dennis Smith Jr. His passing ability is there. Like he's smart. I don't know if he'll ever, he, if, if he like popped, popped and hit like his 100%, you know, ceiling or whatever, I don't think he'd ever be more than like a six assist per game player. Cause I think that his profile is to be more of a scoring guard um, than a guy who's purely in it to distribute. But like, that's plenty good, you know, especially when you have secondary guys on the team that do plenty of passing like RJ Barrett, uh, Frank Milikina, you know, guys like that, that might not be your primary ball handler in that situation, but would be on the floor and could certainly, you know, swing the ball around a bit and find some people for those assists. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that he's pretty good around the rim. It, again, it's going to be, can he translate the success he had in the G League to the NBA? I mean, we've seen literally right in front of us, like Trey Burke, you know, average over 30 points per game for the Westchester Knicks come up to the big leagues and you know his performance for Dallas in the bubble notwithstanding you know with the Knicks it was very hot and cold of whether he looked like a competent NBA player or not um you know a, as far as his time on the team so yeah it's a uh, it's an interesting case with Harper I'm, I'm just really intrigued to see him play like I hope he gets a pretty good amount of burn in the preseason games so we can really get a look at him because the good thing about this year with the two-way contracts is that instead of the previous restrictions on two ways, which is like, I think it's like defined as 40 days of service time, quote unquote. Yep. So there, there, there isn't even a game limit per se. Um, it was just like a days of service, which includes like practice or anything else. And teams would like, from what I understand, kind of fudge that and be like, well, we didn't practice this day. So that doesn't count as him being on the team. And they would literally dock every single day that way and be like, if he didn't practice, like that wasn't a service day. Um, and I'm sure that they even fudged it a little further. Uh, you know, if you, if you would ask teams with truth serum, they would probably say they've written off a few practice days as well for some of their two way guys. But, uh, you know, this year they're going to have 50 games, which is, I mean, five seventh of the schedule. So, I mean, he could theoretically, if he shows out in camp and preseason, he could have a role on this team basically for the whole year. And quite frankly, if he's good enough to play the whole 50 games and leave the Knicks, you know, jonesing for more with the final 20 games of the season, they should probably just cut someone and give them a contract anyway. <laughs> no, I'm with you. And I think, I think look upside low, you know, solid NBA backup point guard because of the size limitations, but he can do other stuff and that's okay. And I think that's fine. And I do wonder how much we're going to be able to take, but don't you think that Tom Thibodeau's going to not necessarily dole out a bunch of preseason minutes to guys that he doesn't think he's going to play. You know, oh, this sure. is, it's such a short training camp and you have so little time with these guys. I think he's going to maximize the minutes for the guys that have a shot. So I think who he plays in these Pistons games, you know, and, and stuff like that, it's, it, it's going to be really, really, really telling whoever he plays in these exhibition games is going to be really telling based on who's going to play in the regular season. Um, yeah. I, uh, Sorry, Kevin, I'll just just interject. Like, I I don't, you know, I could see certainly Tibbs being attracted to a guard of his profile, too, because we've seen it in the past with Tibbs where he has had really good relationships and, you know, given tons of playing time to, in no particular order, Aaron Brooks, uh, Nate Robinson, DJ Augustine, uh, trying to think. I think there was one other. Tyus Jones is another. Tyus Jones. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he likes his small point guards he, if they're he, feisty he and, they, and they play hard. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's 
something I could see happening for sure. The, the the very last thing I will I will say on Jared Harper is is the dude the dude is a badass. If you go watch his highlights down the stretch against Kentucky in that elite. Oh yeah. Uh, when when the Suns played the Knicks in summer league, I remember watching it live and thinking, man, I wish I wish the Knicks had gotten this guy. He's he's something. There's there's a little something there. And again again guys. There are plenty of guys who have those qualities who are very good players in Europe. It, it, there has to be – if you're 5'10", you, you really have to be something special to stick in the NBA. Uh, I think I think at the end of the day, the, the wingspan the wingspan gives them a chance. Uh, let's let's talk about a guy who, who wingspan isn't an issue for. We'll, we'll wrap this all up with, with Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, um, a, late, a late signing uh, for the Knicks, a guy who will be in training camp who does not have a guaranteed roster spot. Has had points in his career, and we, we talked about this when the Knicks first signed him, where he was he was extremely promising despite um, the ugliest jump shot in basketball, or, or one of the top two or three at, at certainly at points in his career. It's gotten it's gotten a little bit a little bit better now. Um, he he was an effective player because he is a, at points in his career, not not necessarily the last two years, um, has been the the best rebounding wing in the league. And he's very, very good at getting to the basket. And he's, at points, a very, very good defender. And, and sometimes he doesn't always live up to that reputation because there are people out there who are like, you know what, if, if he could do other stuff, he, he would be the, he'd be the best perimeter defender in the world. He's, he's not Kawhi, but he's, he's, he's a good defender. There, there, there's a spot for that guy. The question is, is he still that guy? He had multiple injuries. If I remember correctly, I should have looked it up before. I think it was his shoulder. And on Dallas last year, he got a little bit of run in the playoffs against the Clippers. And, and obviously, there's, I, I think that was essentially why the Mavericks signed him. They said, if we play the Clippers, if we play the Lakers, you, you need a, a body to throw out against LeBron James, against Kawhi Leonard, against Paul George. They didn't have that guy. They signed MKG, and he, he couldn't stay on the floor because he, he can't shoot. <laughs> and you need, you need to be able to shoot to some extent um, in the NBA. It's something he's worked on religiously. I, I don't think... Um, just because of the Grand Kentucky connection, the Knicks will be the team to bring it out of him. I, I, I still, it, normally I would say without any prior relationship existing there, I would say I'd, I'd be surprised if he was on the final roster. But there is a prior relationship there. We talked about it. Uh, World Wide West, who, who's obviously a, a big part of this Knicks front office now. Um, it was so close with MKG's mom that he called her mom, uh, mom. Uh, and that's a lot of moms, I know. But they were, the point is they, they were family, essentially. So there's there's a world, I think, for that reason that MKG ends up on the team um anything beyond that uh, i'm not really sure but uh, john did you did you have any thoughts when they first time were you like oh that's kind of interesting or you were like ah nepotism hey look whenever <laughs> when a guy has an elite skill i think you raise your eyebrows a little bit and you know and assuming the injuries have not completely sucked that skill out of him and i don't think it has Michael Gilchrist has an elite skill. He's a really good wing defender, and that is a valuable commodity in the NBA. So for that reason, and given the way Tom Thibodeau values defense, it would not surprise me if he's on this final roster, um, and maybe a guy like Ignas Brasdakis isn't, um, or maybe a guy like Amari Spellman isn't, or Jacob Evans isn't. I think you know that's all possible. I really do. Um the problem is that if you know, it's bad when you say, boy, if only he was as good offensively as Frank Nielakina, <laughs> but that's really where you are. That's how bad it is. I mean, you think Frank can't shoot and score and do anything offensively. You know, this guy, he is just basically a zero. You don't have to cover him. Um, he, it's, it reminds me of the situation. Oh, I forgot the kid's name. Uh, Dort, the kid on Oklahoma city, right? Yeah. How they basically may treated him like a non-entity. 
on that team for Oklahoma City until he finally he made some shots in that one game in the playoffs. And then they had to start covering him. The problem is that Michael Gilchrist is never going to hit shots. That's not going to change. So I could see him being the last guy off the bench. You throw him occasionally at a team that comes in with a really good wing score. But to me, bit player, not a long-term piece. Maybe he makes the team. Maybe he doesn't. I'm not that concerned with it one way or the other. If it made me bet is he on the team, I'd say yes. But in the end, I'm not even really sure it matters. Yeah, I, I'm i just kind of hoping at this point that they brought him in just because almost as a favor, like here's some money to just come and run camp with us and then right. we'll send you out. <laughs> but I'm like you, I'm not super hopeful about that. I mean, I do think there's a possibility that because MKG is like a Rose and West guy and, you know, Iggy is a, you know, he was a, a Mills guy, you know, even though I think Perry probably had more to do with drafting him than Mills because Perry definitely was more, I think involved in the draft process than Mills was. I agree with that. Large degree. Yep. Um, except, well, I, I would say except for the RJ pick where Mills seemed to be very hands-on, but I also think Perry was fully on board with picking RJ too. So I, I don't know that there was any dissension there, but at any rate, you know, I feel like, I feel like Iggy was probably more of a Perry pick anyway. Maybe that's sort of the saving grace that ultimately saves Iggy his roster spot. Um, because I mean, yeah, like the big thing and, you know, we talked about Iggy on the last player preview one that we did with Terry, you know, is he could potentially shoot, you know, like he potentially has offensive skill sets and maybe he's not going to be the defender that MKG is, but yeah, he at least has that tenacity to make you think like, okay, he could be a passable defender, but maybe he'll become a plus shooter. And MKG is never going to be, I mean, MKG, you could even say I, he's definitely a good defender, but he's like, he's like a worse Andre Robertson who you yes. know was yes. a horrendous shooter in his own right. You know, he's like Andre Robertson, but not as good at defense and at least as bad at shooting, which is really saying something because he could maybe be worse. So I just don't see it with him. Like I don't, I, if they keep him on, that would be the first that. It, so there's been all the jokes, right. About the CAA connection and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, what's, you know, it, it's, uh, everything's nepotism like you have to be caa or kentucky or whatever if you want to get on the knicks Uh, but most of the other signings have kind of made sense to me you know like quickly maybe he's a little bit of a reach you know but i think he's going to prove himself to be a damn good player like i think he's going to be a really good shooter and maybe he won't turn into a superstar or something but like how many guys drafted after pick like 10 turned into superstars anyway Mm -hmm. you're really just looking for good contributors and i think he's going to be that i agree um nerland's noel i mean you know, I think he's going to be a fantastic, you know, at at worst backup center, at best starting center for the Knicks and, you know, is going to provide rim protection and exactly the sort of stuff that you want out of a player on a really cheap deal. Um, you know, it's like it, there's some of these deals where people were like, oh, it's Kentucky or CAA. But this would be the first one that would legitimately make me be like, all right, man, come on. Like, what is, what is this guy actually giving you? And you're cutting a guy who literally has gotten no chance in the NBA, like that was the big 10 freshman of the year. Like that actually can shoot the three that tore it up in the G league. Like for what exactly? Like for Michael K Gilchrist to get a guaranteed contract for one year to like warm your bench and like do Jack, you know, it's just, I don't know. It would kind of annoy me. So I, I don't even know if I can fairly assess Michael K Gilchrist because of that, because just his, his presence offends me on the Knicks basically. <laughs> uh, and I hope that he's just here as a camp body, but if he's not, it would be really disappointing to me. And uh, it's not much of a review of his play, 
But, you know, I, I maybe it's also that as a Knicks fan, one of my biggest memories of him is that that game and then the subsequent screenshot that now is used at least on Knicks Twitter for when like someone owns someone else where it's mellow with like 53 points on Michael K. Gilchrist and he has like two points and it made nothing for the whole game from that. I, I'm trying to remember which one of Mello's fantastic scoring games that was. I think it was the one where he ended up with 60. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, I, I just hope he's not on the team. I don't really see anything with him. I see no utility in keeping him. Yeah, I think I, I have nothing else to say about Michael Kidd Gilchrist. That, that's, that's as good a note as any to end up on. Uh, John, uh, really appreciate you being uh, so generous with your time after what I'm sure was a long day. And a long week. Again, a lot of Giants coverage for you, a lot of Knicks coverage. We were talking about it um, pre-show. Uh, because of the Giants playoff run, this is this is about as busy as, as you will you will ever be. But can, can you let people know where they can find all of your work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for the Knicks stuff, WFN.com. Uh, my Twitter feed at Schmelk. That's S-C-H-M-E-E-L-K. Um, I blog for them. If, if blogging is still a thing, whatever, whatever you want to call it these days. Um, obviously, you have uh, my podcast on the Knicks, The Bank Shot which you can find on all your most of your favorite podcast platforms. It's a radio.com podcast. And then if you're a Giant fan out there, um, we're doing a lot of really good stuff on Giants.com. That's where you can find all my written work. I do a lot of film work, a lot of advanced stat work on the website. And then you have our podcast network. Um, it's on uh, Giants.com slash podcast, your favorite podcast platforms, the Giants mobile app as well. Um, Big Blue Kickoff Live is our daily show. Every day at noon, it's live. Then it gets archived. You have Giants Huddle, which is kind of our long-form interview podcast with NFL analysts and Giants players. And then finally, you have uh, the Giants uh, Rewind podcast, which is kind of an X's and O's deal reviewing the game. So that's where you can find everything. If you're a Giant fan, heading down the, the stretch here with the playoffs, I think it's a lot of good content, a lot of analysis and and breakdown and this isn't like a lot of the Homer stuff you'll see otherwise where we don't talk about what players did wrong and things like that. We're, we're honest here. You know, we're not going to go call for people to get fired or anything like that, but we, we do honest evaluations of the game. So make sure you go check it out. And uh, I think you'll really enjoy it if you're a Giants fan. I'm, I'm a big Giants fan. I, I do enjoy all your Giants coverage, John. I'm, I'm excited, excited to get into more of it. Uh, hopefully they, they find a way to, to finally make the playoffs again. Uh, thanks for coming on. You, you always bring it. and we, we always appreciate you uh, joining us. Hey, always, always fun, guys. Thank you. Thank you, John.